This is The Guardian. Today, the UK Foreign Secretary says Russia could launch an attack on Ukraine almost immediately. But what do people in Kiev think? What does a country look like, surrounded by enemy troops, on the edge of a possible invasion? The answer, according to Sean Walker, a Guardian correspondent who's right now in the Ukrainian capital, Kiev, is strangely normal. I think if you didn't have a a Twitter feed or a a TV in your eyeline, you wouldn't necessarily know that there was much untoward going on. Uh, The shops are pretty much full. The restaurants are open. Over the weekend, people were going out and having drinks in in bars. There's very little on the surface that suggests that this is a place where life could be upended in the coming days. The Russian border with Ukraine has been tense for weeks. These past few days, though... The risk of Russian military action warranted pulling US embassy staff out of Kiev. Western countries have pulled out diplomats. Flights over Ukraine have been cancelled. We are beyond the time where I'm advising people to register on a website. I'm being very, very clear to people that they should leave Ukraine now. Foreigners are leaving. And the US has even predicted an invasion could take place within days. According to one report, even tomorrow. But the way they have built up their forces, the way they have maneuvered things in place, makes it a distinct possibility that there will be major military action very soon. Looking at this from from Kiev, it's it's really quite hard to compute. Uh, Now, partly that may just be that it's always difficult on the eve of war to imagine how things could change. But I think there are also lots of people in Ukraine who who are remaining quite sceptical of of the messaging that we're hearing from Washington and London. But on Ukraine's borders, Russian troops and equipment are still arriving. There's now 130,000 troops, Russian troops, along uh, the border with Ukraine. Uh, So there's no doubt that Ukraine is, is, is in a pretty tight spot. It's being surrounded for the last three months by an increasing amount of troops and uh, hardware. Are these increasingly urgent warnings of war, exaggerated, or an effort to ward off a Russian attack that's coming? We might know the answer imminently. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, life in Kiev in the weeks, maybe days, before a possible Russian attack. Sean, you've been talking to people in Kiev these past few weeks about the threat of a Russian attack. What are they telling you? So a couple of weeks ago, when I was having conversations with with government people here in Kiev, uh, my sense was that, look, the, the US and the Ukrainians are seeing the same, more or less the same thing. I mean, clearly the US has bigger intelligence capabilities, but they're sharing a lot of this stuff. People are looking at it and they can see that Russia has all this stuff massed on the border and may intervene. But they're deciding to accent different parts of that. So while the Americans are deciding to accent the worst case scenario to get everybody on board to stand up to Russia, the Ukrainians are saying, well, hang on a minute. He may invade, but, you know, he's been 
we, we've been at war with Russia for eight years. We've been facing this permanent threat. And by running around screaming that Kiev is going to fall tomorrow, you're actually destabilizing Ukraine, which is exactly what Vladimir Putin wants. Now, what we've heard in recent days is a much more insistent and specific briefings of, of the threat, which still here are being kind of poo-pooed a bit. So Vladimir Zelensky, the, the Ukrainian president, came out and said he thinks there's too much information uh, that is being thrown out there. People are even naming dates, and all this does is create panic. And now the best friend for enemies, that is panic in our country. And all this information that helps only for panic doesn't help us. I think there are two main parts to this. The first is that most people here don't believe that the full-scale invasion, the toppling of the regime, the capture of Kiev, this sort of scenario is, is on the cards. And the second part of it is that while they do think that some other potentially pretty horrible scenario may be on the cards, that by creating the permanent impression that that's just about to happen, uh, it's not helpful to Ukraine. And it may end up, if, it, if nothing happens, it may still end up doing a huge amount of damage to Ukraine. I can see that politicians would have an interest in saying that. But did you find that ordinary people in Kiev, in Ukraine, feel the same way? That, yes, this is concerning, but we need to keep it within reason. We have to kind of make sure to keep our cool. Yeah, I think, you know, this is a country that has been dealing with this threat from Russia for the last eight years. But I think people are finding it difficult to square what they're hearing coming out of Washington with their daily lives in Ukraine and with the, with the idea that, you know, suddenly tomorrow missiles could be falling or bombs could be falling on, on Kiev. But it's certainly not true that nobody in Ukraine is paying attention to this. Of course I'm worried. But am I afraid? Uh, not. No, I don't think so. Uh, on Saturday, I was out at a protest in, in central Kiev where a few thousand people gathered with Ukrainian flags, many with uh, banners telling Putin to keep his hands off Ukraine. Um, and people there were, were very defiant. When I spoke to people, they, they, they said, you know, they expressed a lot of anger about the current situation. They said, they said that they wanted more resolute support from the West. But even many of those people I spoke to couldn't quite believe that the bombs were about to fall in the coming days. At the same time, we are seeing people make contingency plans. I am slowly preparing food for my family, stocking up on water if the water is turned off. We brought a stove just in case the gas was turned off so that the children could cook something for themselves. We're seeing some people, certainly not everybody, but some people stocking up on supplies. We're hearing that there are no generators on sale in Kiev because they've all been bought up. And people are starting to pay attention to perhaps where is the local bomb shelter. There are cases of nightclubs or even in one case a strip club being turned into a makeshift bomb shelter in case it's required. But when you talk to people about these things, there's still almost an element of fantasy as if, you know, yeah, we are thinking about this, but clearly it's not really going to happen. Is that some sort of like 
defense mechanism that like in the face of something that's going to change their lives completely, people can't quite believe it until perhaps it's the danger is, is, is much greater or it's too late. Well, I think that's the big question I've been asking myself here. I mean, are we seeing realism or are we seeing a refusal to look a plausible scenario in the face? Um, and again, I think that that all comes down to what basically we're all up against, which is working out what's going on inside Putin's head. I mean, you know, as somebody who spent more than a decade living in Russia and has been following Russia's aggressive actions in Ukraine for the last decade, to me, it also seems unthinkable that, that, that Putin is going to launch an enormous blanket invasion of the sort that we're hearing from the White House. Well, Jake, we cannot perfectly predict the day, but we have now been saying for some time that we are in the window and an invasion could begin, a major military action could begin by Russia in Ukraine any day now. That includes this coming week before the end of the Olympics. And of that course, increasing certainty in the US the and to some extent Britain that an attack is imminent, basically inevitable. What is behind that claim? I mean, the intelligence community has given us lots of reasons to be to be skeptical of the things they say, especially on, on the edge of war. I mean, how much should we believe that any day now, even, you know, as we speak, Russia could be launching an invasion? You know, I think it... So when you hear, for example, the White House come out and say, we know that plans are underway for this extreme scenario, uh, and we have intelligence about, we have specific intelligence information about that. And when you look at that, that could mean one of two things. That could mean that Vladimir Putin went to his generals or his security services and said, draw me up every scenario of what we could do in Ukraine. And they drew up 20 scenarios. And one of those was the maximum scenario, which is unlikely to happen. The other option is that the US has got either a human source or is picking up uh, from intercepted communications, the kind of really, really specific imminent danger that it's briefing. And, and in that case, their briefings become much more understandable. And adding to the difficulty of passing all that is that the U.S. have actually pulled their diplomats out of the country over the weekend. American citizens should leave, should leave now. We're dealing with one of the largest armies in the world. This is a very different situation and things could go crazy quickly. Flights in and out of Ukraine are being cancelled. I mean, there is certainly this sense building that something is coming, or at least a lot of people believe something's coming. Yes, that's right. Uh I mean, it's interesting to see who's pulled their diplomats and who hasn't. So as of Monday, uh, you have most of the US and Canadian diplomats gone, uh, but a few of them in the western city of, of Lviv. Uh, the Brits, uh, the ambassador and a small team is staying in Kiev. So I think, I think there's a few things going on here. I think partly it's clearly the, 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 the intelligence the Americans believe they have warrants this this extreme move. But I think there's probably also um, memories of how politically toxic the Benghazi incident was. There's memories of just six months ago of the world watching this footage of the chaotic evacuation of Kabul. And I mean, I've heard from diplomats here that, that, that Kabul has been on people's minds when they are thinking about what to do in Kiev, which on the one hand, you know, great to learn from your mistakes. On the other hand, we're clearly dealing with very, very different situations here. 
Sean, a lot of what we've been talking about here is is intelligence, is rumour, but there is also some reality, which is that at this time, Russian forces, more than 100,000 of them, are gathering on the border of Ukraine, including via Belarus, which is just north of Kiev. Now, satellite imagery has picked out communications units, medics, and supply lines that would help Russia mount some kind of prolonged invasion. Like, if this isn't an invasion force, does the Russian government have any other plausible explanation for why its troops are gathering in such numbers? No, it absolutely doesn't. And I think that's the most frustrating part of trying to pass what's going on here, because it's absolutely clear that if Russia doesn't plan to invade, it certainly wants it to look like it could invade. In addition to the troops in Belarus, the troops in Crimea, the troops on the border, we've also got naval exercises taking part in the Black Sea. We've got a number of ships coming into the Black Sea. I mean, there's, there's, there's no way that this is just, you know, as, as the Russians say, we have the right to move our troops around wherever we want in our country. This is clearly a calculated attempt to show a threat and there are now, alongside all of this, increasingly desperate diplomatic efforts being made to try to ward off a conflict. What would a diplomatic solution to this crisis actually look like? When you look at what it is that Russia wants and what it is that Ukraine and the West are willing to give up, uh, it's very difficult to see where that potential compromise line is. When we look at the demands that Putin made to Ukraine and to the West about NATO troops withdrawing from countries around Russia, about solid guarantees that Ukraine will not join NATO, these are simply things that seem extremely unlikely that Kiev and that Washington are going to agree to. At the same time, there is a feeling that it's very clear that nobody is going to let Ukraine into NATO anytime soon. So perhaps there is some kind of middle ground that 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 can be offered to Putin where you know Ukraine is is it's a unwritten understanding that Ukraine won't be accepted anytime soon. But it seems unlikely on the other hand that that's going to be enough for Putin. But in terms of a, a real substantial compromise, a kind of new Yalta agreement that would divide up Europe into spheres of influence, which I think ultimately is what Putin would really like, uh, I don't think anything even close to that is going to be on the table. So it becomes difficult to see where these places for, for agreement might be. One thing I wonder about is the timing of this whole crisis. This conflict has been simmering away for nearly eight years, but why did Putin choose now, early 2022, as the moment to raise these tensions to the very brink? So I think there are probably a, a, a bunch of different reasons here. Uh, I mean, it is Ukraine's been something that, that Russia has been complaining about for, for, for years, ever since, of course, the, the war in 2014. I think we had President Zelensky who came in in 2019. He was from a Russian-speaking family. He talked about ending the war. He theoretically should have been more of a compromise figure. But the problem is that the Kremlin's goals in Ukraine are so at odds with what Ukrainian society wants that even with a figure like Zelensky, they were not able to, to get what they want. And I think this frustration has grown over time. Uh, then we've had the most pro-Putin 
politician in Ukraine who was a, is, is a friend of Putin. Putin's his, his daughter's godfather. Um, he was put under house arrest. His media were closed down by Zelensky. So some see that as a sign, perhaps, that this was when Putin felt that his last, the last bit of influence he had of perhaps changing Ukraine politically had been taken away from him. And then you have the international situation. You know, you have um, an older US president who didn't seem particularly focused on Russia when he came in. You have the departure of Angela Merkel, who was the mainstay of, 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 of European politics and who had managed to have some kind of a relationship with Putin over the years. Um, and you had this chaotic evacuation from Kabul, this sense that perhaps, you know, US was looking inwards um, it was a troubled place. It wasn't ready to solve the world's problems anymore. And, you know, the first buildup of troops was last spring. And so that kind of came and went. And then this one has come again. It's been more intense. But again, one possibility is that, that this is just going to be a sort of uh, up and down waves of putting on the pressure, taking it off. No one's ever going to quite know if the attack is coming. But in the meantime, they would need to, to keep talking about Ukraine, keep sitting down with Putin and keep alive the possibility of, of giving Russia some of what it wants. That's right. And I think one thing that we've seen in the last two weeks with you know Biden making calls to Putin, with Macron coming and, and sitting and listening for five hours to Putin talking about the unfair uh, international consensus about Russia. We've got Schultz going to Moscow this week. So there is an element where part of this, if, if, if Putin wants just wants to be part of the conversation and wants to feel like he's respected, I think he may have got that from this crisis, but at the same time, he's also got a much more resolute Western response on Ukraine. He's got people sending weapons to Ukraine who were erring about doing that before. So in, in other ways, it's been a completely counterproductive effort. If Putin's big threat is NATO weapons and NATO support for Ukraine, well, Vladimir Putin himself seems to be the leading driver of that. Coming up, if there's no diplomatic solution, what would a conflict look like? Sean, if a diplomatic solution can't be found, is there some consensus, at least among Ukrainians, over what Russia might actually seek to do in their country? Like, are they going to march to Kiev or is the idea that they would try to do something a bit more modest? So I think there are a few main scenarios here. The first one is the most uh, intense, and it's the one that the White House is saying is the most likely, and the Ukrainian uh, analysts I speak to seem to think is less likely. And that is full regime change, full invasion, troops coming down from Belarus to Kiev, huge airstrikes to take out the Ukrainian military, the general staff. And, but... What, you, what seems confusing here is that there is a big stage between part one of that surround Kiev and, and, and bomb the hell out of Ukraine and part two, which is install a puppet government. Because it's not 2014 anymore. There are not pro-Russian politicians with any kind of significant support above 10, 15% who could simply be popped in place. So the idea that 
Russia would be able to impose a government that would be able to effectively govern the whole country without an occupation, which they don't have the troops for at the moment, seems a bit implausible. Okay, so the view there is that a full-scale invasion and occupation is unlikely. What's the second possibility? So second kind of scenario is a military scenario, but something much less dramatic. So it could be a move to take parts of South and East Ukraine where historically there has been more pro-Russian sentiment. Uh, But that could be Odessa on the Black Sea. That could be trying to create a corridor between Russia and the annexed Crimea, um, taking a whole bunch of land in the south of Ukraine. Uh, There's a whole number of of, of scenarios that that the Ukrainians are gaming as as, as possible options. So then the final scenario would be something that happens in the parts of Ukraine that Russia already de facto controls after the the war in 2014. That's the the so-called Donetsk People's Republic and Lukansk People's Republic. So there's a a suggestion that perhaps Russia could officially recognize these places as independent states, send in its troops. Perhaps they would try to expand the borders of these states to take in more Ukrainian territory. But again... Ukrainians say that's not so likely because Russia is able to use these these territories as kind of a Trojan horse inside Ukraine. If they actually officially recognize them, they would lose that capacity. In the meantime, Sean, Western governments are pouring in what they call lethal aid. They clearly say it's their responsibility to stand by the Ukrainian government. If Russia attacks, I can't imagine the US, the UK and others just standing back and, and letting it happen. Do we have any sense of what they do if, if Wednesday or some other day comes and an invasion does start? I think there's a lot of discussions right now among Western leaders to to, to try to finalise exactly what would happen. Uh, I think we're finally hearing a solid statement, for example, that the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline from Russia to Germany um, would not be allowed to operate if, if Russia moves further. I think we've heard some pretty strong words about major new sanctions, about moves against oligarchs who are considered to be pro-Putin. But I think in, in Kiev, uh, one thing that people are saying is why, why are we hearing about all these sanctions that will happen if the invasion happens? If you have strong enough information that you have to withdraw all of your diplomats from Kiev, is it not time to put these in place now? And Western governments have said that their response will be you know, limited to sanctions. They, they won't be putting troops on the ground themselves. But is there much risk here of, of countries being drawn in? I mean, once war begins, can you predict how it's going to go? Can you predict whether countries get involved even against their will? So I think because the kind of events that we're talking about, if we have what the Americans are suggesting is likely to happen, are so unthinkable. I mean, that they will be a complete change to the post post cold war security order in europe it's very hard it's hard to imagine even what they would look like and 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 as you say i think it would get very unpredictable i do think that it would be extremely unlikely that suddenly britain or the eu countries or the us would turn around and say 
we are going to put troops into Ukraine. We're going to fight the Russians in Ukraine. I don't think that's going to happen. I think we would probably see a much bigger beefing up of, of the eastern flank of NATO, of the Baltics, of Poland. But of course, again, if, if we do see what the Americans are saying is going to happen, then we're kind of into uncharted territory. Even short of that kind of all-out war in Eastern Europe, the kind of invasion we're talking about still seems like it would have pretty big repercussions for, for the region and for the world. Would it be the kind of thing that we might feel in our daily lives? Yeah, I, th- I think there there would, of course, be, be huge repercussions from a war in Europe. Uh, we have Russia supplying uh, a huge amount of, of Europe's gas, Ukraine supplies an enormous amount of of the world's food. I think it's the top exporter of things like sunflower oil. It's in the top three or four of of, of wheat, barley. Um, it, there are a huge number of countries that, that that get a lot of their food from Ukraine. So I think yes, these, these scenarios are, are, are all going to have you know major international repercussions. But until we see exactly what it looks like, exactly what the rest and response is, it's it's kind of hard to tell. And Sean, if this week comes and goes and nothing happens, when can we relax? When is the next milestone we can look to when the threat of an invasion will dramatically decline? So I think if nothing happens this week, um, a really key date to look to is the 20th of February which is when the scheduled Russian joint exercises in Belarus come to an end. So if on the 21st of February, there's been no further incursion of Ukraine and those Russian troops and all their hardware go back to their bases in Russia, then we're certainly, you know, I wouldn't say Ukraine's out of the water. They've, they've got an ongoing conflict for the last few years in the East. But I think we can rest assured that these really apocalyptic scenarios that are supposedly imminent uh, are no longer imminent. Sean Walker, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thank you. That was Sean Walker, The Guardian's Central and Eastern Europe correspondent. You can read all his coverage this week from Kiev at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Alex Atak. Sound design by Axel Kakutier. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Mithley Rao. Back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.